For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome to the number one Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Daddy McDook. As always, I'm joined by Dr. Hoji Delector Kismagi and John Shirin. Yeah, and we have, honestly, I, I don't want to say the greatest guest in history because I haven't served all of history. So right. I would say the greatest guest in the sports history, at least, very clearly. Right. We have ESPN's team reporter for the Bengals and he's also a boxer for ESPN. I'm talking about Mr. Ben Baby. Oh, yeah. Who I, I just love his uh, smart takes, his funny takes. And we're so grateful that we have him covering the Bengals. Me too. Yeah. And, so and not a huge him. frame for a, for a boxer, Ben. Yeah. My, my, yeah. my frame was uh, my, my fighting days, you know, as an amateur uh, boxer, I uh, retired with a 1-0 record. Okay. My, my weight, my, my best weight was behind me back in the day. But now I just do a lot of covering. If I did a lot of fighting... I don't know how well that would work these days. Right. Oh, sorry. Okay, I was just okay. I was just reading your Twitter bio. And it says covering the Cincinnati Bengals, comma boxing for ESPN, and there's also a promo code in there EPH two eight. So you want to use that promo code? That, that's a promo code if you want some Jesus in your life. That's that's definitely okay. the promo okay. code to use. Yes, that's correct. I can't confirm. Okay, so Ben, you are a man of faith. So I actually have a question for you. Did you hear about this mass vaccination service for the Bengals? Like, are they are they praying the virus away? What does that mean? The mass vaccination? I, I believe actually there was a. It was. I, I think they were praying. For, maybe they were praying for the vaccine and also a playoff victory. Right Let now, the out. chances of, of, of becoming vaccinated for COVID are much better than the Bengals making the playoffs in uh, twenty twenty one. So you know, right now, all prayers at Paul Brown Stadium for health and football related matters are probably greatly needed. You know, okay, Daddy yeah. was never a school school going type. And what we're dealing yeah. with here, Ben, is a lot, a lot of money in education. Though. An yeah. embarrassing amount of illiteracy on his part. And I apologize to you on behalf of our show. Mass here means a large group. When they say okay. mass vaccination, it doesn't mean I that there's it. a priest sticking you with his needle. It right. means that there is a large group of people okay. who are getting vaccinated at the same time. Okay. Well, anyways, look. I'm so glad you're here, and thank you to ESPN for entrusting us with Ben Baby or letting us babysit your very, very talented analyst. So, so Ben, let us get right into it. First of all, yeah. tell us about your experiences coming back, because I know you're from Houston, right? Or you're from Texas. No, hold on. Hold on. You're from Texas. That was almost really bad. So Texas has more than one city, I'm saying. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, saying a Dallas area guy is from Houston is like saying somebody from Cincinnati is from Cleveland. So uh, just to put that in perspective. But yes, I am from Texas. Okay. Well, at least you're and, not from Cleveland, Ben. Then yeah. we'd have to stop yeah. the show. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I mean, being from Houston is not a big deal, but Cleveland, that's, come on. That's, that's but okay. Bad. 
So, okay, so look, uh, Ben, so you, you know, are... It's interesting you, because the Bengals always had a big rivalry with Houston back in the day. Yeah. Back in the Sam White day. We so just, just move on, move on. I'm just, just throwing things in. Move on. Keep, keep it moving. Keep it moving. Yeah, So, but he's from Dallas, right? So you have seen a lot of, you know, playoff victories and championships, and you come from a place where they... I mean, their high school teams have more fanfare and probably more funding than the Cincinnati Bengals. So well, we so had Dragon. Me. We had Tyler Dragon on here. He was talking about the way. I mean, like he was basically. It was like like covering the the Bengals as opposed to to covering uh, the the Dallas uh, Cowboys was like you know rags to or riches to rags. I mean, it sounded like they were they're very very stacked team in terms of money. And the Bengals, I mean, great team and and they do fine, but not not as big you know money wise. You, you know what's funny is that I would I would argue the Bengals have actually been more successful than the Cowboys over the last 25 years. I think the Bengals have actually fielded a much better product than the Cowboys over the last 25 years. Wow. I mean, I though everyone, you know, the Cowboys have built their legacy on basically the pre-salary cap days, and Jerry Jones will spend money. Uh, it's probably the big difference here is that Jerry will spare no expense uh, to fielding a winner in any aspect. And Jerry, I think, is a phenomenal businessman when it comes to building a franchise. It's a little bit different, you know. They haven't, you know, been to an NFC Championship game since the '94, '95 season, I believe, or '95, '96. And and you know, the Bengals did have that run between 2011 and 2015 that I know didn't produce a playoff victory. But I would argue that stretch is probably better cohesively than anything the Cowboys have done over the last 25 years. And, and when you look at the similarities between the franchises, you know, there is a, a lot to be said. You know, you have Jerry Jones and Mike Brown basically running very family-oriented front offices. You know, the Jones family basically has their hands in everything the Cowboys does, and same thing with the Brown family in Cincinnati. So there are a lot of parallels, but it's it's funny you mentioned that. There hasn't been a whole lot of winning over there either in Dallas. Right. So they're, they're trying to figure out a way to, to be successful. Yeah. yeah, no one seems to have the elixir, the magic formula yet. Yeah. Well, uh, Joe Burrow might be that magic formula. That's the whole Yeah. But Ben, I mean, so you're not only covering a team that that, you know, you really don't have – personal investment in so you're you're objective but it might not even be your favorite sport i know you're a big you're big on cricket right i i have i have definitely yeah. gotten into the cricket a, a lot yeah, yeah i would say boxing is my favorite sport but cricket is okay. probably right now the sport i enjoy the most because i have like, okay. zero attachment to it and arsenal in the epl just brings me pain on a regular basis so i try to i try to stay detached from that as much as i can this is why i switched to liverpool from arsenal by the way ben that's, yeah, see, that's not allowed. Too. You can't do that. that that's oh, I can do it. Of course, I can. <laughs> I don't know about all that. That seems that seems a little question. You got to you got to live with your. As a, I don't watch the games, anyways. <laughs> but to be fair, you are already a Bengals fan. Like you can only take so much pain in your life. So I would. I think it's good to have at least one team that's a winner. Like if you're going to stick with a, you know, I don't think anyone can knock someone who roots for the Bengals as being a fair weather fan. Like you are, if you are a Bengals fan, you are tried and true in the blood. Uh, you know, you have endured a lot. So I, I don't think yeah. anybody can say anything about your character as a fan. Uh, yeah. So I, I should give you a pass. I mean, yeah, if you want to take Liverpool. Yeah, he's got to have one good team. Correct. Well, that's, I, that's my theory too. My, well, my my good team is I'm a huge Lakers fan. Been the Lakers fan for, for, for decades. Love yeah. that team. And whenever I think about how things are going with the Bengals, then I just look over to, to the West and I see the Lakers and I see LeBron and I get happy again. Yeah. Up and down, up and down. Ben, basically, all of this is to say our hometown team, I know all the media people there. They, they love me. They always bring me on the show. I call in a lot. And uh, we actually don't have any reporters for cricket. You, meanwhile, have my dream job. So what I'm wondering is, if I can connect you 
with a, a, a reporting of cricket in Village Island, where we are, me and Hoji are from. Right. With that kind of position, right? Except our and cricket it, involves crickets. You, you have yeah. to understand. It's a very different sport than cricket. It's a yeah, cricket it, race. Right, right. But okay, look. So I've been trying to follow the team because you're coming on the show uh, or this uh, sport, sorry. And I, I looked up some people and I want to know who is the Virat Kohli of, of this draft? Yeah, who's got that footwork and the aggressiveness? Who do you see? The, because I know, look, you wrote an article about why the Bengals cannot afford to pass on Seaved, which is yeah. basically because, if I'm not mistaken, college is not emphasizing developing offensive line as much. So you're not going to come across a lot of prospects like him, whereas receivers, maybe every year you have an elite receiver every couple of years. Let me ask two things. Where do you think the Bengals are going and where do you think they should go in the first round? Yeah, they just went a lot of places. First off, great analysis on Virat Kohli. Great hand speed, great footwork. Obviously, he's been struggling a little bit in the league play. Uh, I don't know if there is a Virat Kohli in this draft, to be quite honest. Maybe Trevor Lawrence, because you know Virat might be the Virat might be the best uh, uh, batsman in the world, and he's been that way for the last handful of years. All of that being said, uh, going back to what we wrote on ESPN about the offensive line debate, I think that there are definitely two schools of thought, and I'm of the school of thought that. If you believe Sewell is a can't miss prospect at tackle, you kind of have to take him. Uh, I, you know, I would actually, I would, I would argue if it's me, my power ranking of of, of availability at five, I would go Pitts one, uh, Sewell two, and and Chase three, based on scarcity and kind of where the game is headed. If that, that combination of factors, I, I I do believe that when you when you talk to a lot of coaches and when I'm when you see how the game is developed and in Texas, we've seen this over the last 15, 20 years. You know, you really do not see a lot of offensive line play um, that at, at high quality levels because it's been so devalued because of the passing game. And as as we saw, you know, 2019 LSU won a national championship in spite of an elite offensive line. Clemson has been good for years in spite of an elite offensive line. Bama as well. I mean, Alex Leatherwood is their best prospect, and he's you know probably not going to go in the first round. He could fall to the Bengals in the second round. And so what you're seeing is that you know there, there's there's it's a very interesting, you know, look at the kind of where the game is at right now because at the college game, you know, you basically are trying to the, the objective for Nick Saban and, and Dabo Swinney and, and and all these coaches, Ryan Days, uh, Lincoln Riley's, et cetera, are to build national championship winners, not to produce the best prospects for the NFL. So that means they have to tailor their game a certain way, and and by you know in turn that will affect the type of elite prospects at our programs uh, that produce you know elite offensive linemen. I think that's why you're seeing guys, you know, like, you know, Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern that isn't really, you know, it's a very much a, you know, had a, had a decent year in the Big Ten, but they're not going to be a Big Ten power. You know, it's not going to be a place where you're going to go. You see a lot of guys uh, throughout the draft, uh, offensive tackle prospects, maybe not from bigger schools, like Dylan Radness is, is, is a prime example of that. Um, and, you know, Quinn Marins is another one as well. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of different, you know, line prospects you're going to see across all of college football that maybe aren't matriculating from top schools, which I think is really fascinating. And that's what makes Sewell uh, a unique prospect. Kind of, I talked to Mario Cristobal at length and, you know, and he's was really, obviously he is, uh, you know, going to be high on his guy, but, you know, I think he's noted as well that there is a shift in what schools are emphasizing that, you know, that style of play and, and, and Sewell does a lot of things well. And, and, you know, I think that he'll come in wherever he goes and have a, a pretty big impact. I think, one thing that should be noted is a lot of people viewed Panay Sewell as a left tackle. Obviously, the Bengals would not put Sewell at left tackle, I don't think. I do think that, you know, amid all the pre-draft smoke that they do like Jonah Williams there, he's kind of more proven, played that position longer at Alabama. 
So you would potentially be sliding Panay in at right tackle. So from a fit standpoint, you know, I don't know if that's really the best option. I think if you want to take Panay, maybe put him at left tackle and see how he goes. And the Bengals might be set at left tackle for now. Uh, so, so I think there is that debate, but by and large, I think Chase at five is very interesting because I think that, and this isn't a knock on Jamar, but the, the receivers that you're going to see, I think you're going to see more receivers like Jamar in coming years. I mean, we just see every year as feel like you're going to come out with elite level wide receivers. And, and you know, that's just my school of thought uh, when you look at the game and the way it's changing. I don't see it slowing down, this trend reversing of great receiver prospects coming out. I think when you look at seven on seven, uh, the, the type of recruits that you see at the high school level that are five-star athletes just coming out of the woodwork, like like Terrace Marshall, for example, like he was a stud coming out of high school. Uh, and LSU and A&M were really bidding on him, or really, uh, not, I shouldn't say bidding, I, I should say really, uh, you know, recruiting uh, for his services here. I don't want to insinuate that LSU or A&M bid, bid on uh, Terrace Marshall. We understood what you were saying there, yeah. So, uh, but they, they, you know, really have heavily recruited him. And, you know, I, I think that that's a, and he was a five-star guy who could be a second-round prospect. I mean, so there is elite athleticism that you're going to find at, re- at the receiver position throughout the board uh, in future years. But the Bengals feel like Jamar Chase is a, is a once in a, you know, is an elite playmaker that you get at five, obviously, then they'll go and get him. And I think many people expect Chase to be the pick uh, tomorrow. I mean, the, 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 key, the key here is, is maybe, right? I mean, Ben, maybe what you're saying and, and what I really enjoyed was you had pits as your ideal first choice. Oh yeah, that's I've been saying on the show for a long time. It's not even—it's not even close. I don't want to. It's not even it. close. I, I, how do you how do you look at what the Bengals do offensively? Yeah, and say, oh yeah, I want to pass on that guy. I don't uh, because get it. It. Makes, it makes zero sense when you look at it from what the Bengals do schematically, and then also more importantly, what Joe Burrow does pre-snap. And so I, I'm no football. I never played it down. You know, I'm not a big X's and O's guy, but I have a general understanding of it. And you know, when you listen to what Burrow does and, and his strengths last year. A lot of what Burrow excels at is making good decisions pre-snap, and then they right. let the offense flow through him. Well, when you look at it, let's say you line up Kyle Pitts as an inline talent. If we want to get kind of granular for a second, and John, correct me if I'm wrong here because you're, you're kind of an X's and O's guy, so I'm curious yeah, to see yeah. your take on this. You know, let's say you put Kyle Pitts lined up pre-snap as an inline inline tight end, and what you can do is moving him across the formation with pre-snap motion. By doing that. You give him, you give Burrow a lot of pre-snap intel and, and let him diagnose the defense at a really, you know, really well. And let's say he sees a good matchup with what the defense is giving him. Pitts is so dynamic that if you say, you know what, we like this matchup, maybe let's move him into the slot on, on whatever left side if we're in a, a you know a two by one stack, or if we want to put him on the outside, uh, you know, we feel like that matchup is there. Then what you're doing is you're letting Joe Burrow facilitate the offense, and if he's your franchise playmaker you're giving him the hands of the offense and you're saying, go out and make plays and use pits uh, in, in the way you best see fit. And what that's what great offenses do. They let their qu- quarterbacks run the show. They're elite playmakers and they're able to make these decisions. And so for me, Pitts has been the no brainer. I think, you know, right now it looks like the Falcons are going to take him off the board at four, but let's say the Falcons go out and take a quarterback. If I'm the Bengals and I've been dead set on chase, I immediately go, Pitts is there. Let's go take him because yeah. I think that he, in this offense and what Zach Taylor likes to do, what Joe Burrow wants to do, I cannot see an argument against taking Pitts. No, I'm no I, I, I agree with all that. Like, I feel like Chase and Pitts are the two elite receivers that fit the Bengals offense the best. And you can make cases. And I know, Ben, you're a really big Jalen Waddle fan as well. But I think for like what the Bengals 
they, they prioritize and what they're kind of lacking in this offense and what would fit best with Burrow. Pitts has always made a lot of sense, and it's always been a little bit questionable why they don't necessarily see him along those lines like, like they do with Chase. Maybe it is just the positional value type of situation. They don't value a tight end to, enough to take him in the top five. But I kind of want to um, re- return to, to your discussion about where the game is going because we talked about this, I think, last week at, at the Bengals jersey reveal and how you know seven-on-seven seven is really impacting what college is doing. And we also know that like the NFL in itself is about – uh, maybe half a decade, a decade behind what college is doing. And it always kind of, you know, creeps up and the game tends to just kind of follow what they're doing at the lower levels. So I feel like if, if college right now, like, because it looks completely different than it did 10, 15 years ago and the NFL will, will then follow suit. I wonder if like, if, if colleges are prioritizing, you know, teaching kids different things and, and prioritizing making positions more, more so strengths than they did in the past, I wonder if that is also going to impact the NFL and our team's going to be left behind if they don't have these elite receivers to match up with, with teams like the Chiefs and the Bills and the Buccaneers. And not necessarily saying that offensive linemen and elite offensive linemen are always are going to be more devalued. But I wonder if, if, if that's where it's going in college, I wonder if some teams like the Bengals see themselves getting ahead of the curve and making sure that they're elite at those positions. And that's where that argument kind of comes from. Yeah, I would, I would tend to, I would agree with you in that sense, but I, I would also argue that I don't know if it just may be a different. I don't. I don't know if I've ever seen Chase as maybe as other people see Chase, and that may be part of the issue. But by and large, you look at what the Bengals already have. Like if the Bengals didn't have T. Higgins and Boyd, then I might lean to that and say you, you know this is probably somewhere where Chase fits. But you know, I think T. is, a, is has the potential to be a wide receiver one. I thought he looked really good. And the thing is, he is really young. And I talked to his old position coach at Clemson. I remember he told me you know, right after the Bengals drafted him, they said his rookie year is not going to be anything like his second year because he's still so raw athletically. So he's going to really come into his own in that in 2021. So this is going to be T Higgins' breakout year. Tyler Boyd is a really good slot receiver. And for me, I'm looking at a complimentary receiver to those two. And I think if you take Chase, it's just that dynamic is going to be very fascinating to watch. I mean, how you go about distributing routes and targets. And I know everyone looks at AJ Green's target numbers from last year where people have to understand that's kind of skewed because they gave him, they fed him a lot of targets early on in the season. They really didn't do that in the middle of the year. And then in the last game, when it was obvious that it was going to be AJ's last ride and the Bengals had nothing to play for, they just said, let's get him as many targets as possible. So if you look at the target distribution, that's kind of skewed for AJ. Um, And the type of targets uh, I think are really the important thing. So I understand what you're saying and that maybe you do need like three elite receivers, but I think the type of third receiver that you're pitting, or you're putting with Boyd and Higgins, it, I, I think that you can find a different complementary option. And, and that's why Pitts makes more sense to me because Pitts is not something the Bengals currently have. He can fill that outside receiver uh, void. And his scarcity, like I, I don't know if I've ever seen in the last five, 10 years, a guy like Pitts. Like I know everyone's like, oh, right. you know, he's like an insane like version of Evan Ingram who was a, a good pass catcher. The Giants have used him very well. And given what you the flexibility that you have in 11 personnel, I mean, Pitts is a stud. And, and so – yeah, I, I think so. I think you're gonna find more receivers. Heck, I like Waddle more than Chase. I'll be honest. I think and because here's I want to know this why is about Bengals, honesty. This show, right? I want to know why the Bengals want to take Chase. That is the number one thing. You know, that's my question. Too. I mean, I want to know exactly why they took. Well, Chase. well, I, I, he, I, he's thinking, baby. Yeah. Listen, just real quick. I mean, yeah. one thing that I think we have to consider here is first of all, as you said, Pitts when he lined up as receiver was very successful. 
high uh, high rating, uh, a, a good catcher, just as a receiver, let alone a tight end. But then also, you've got four inches of real estate on those arms. I mean, if Pitts is available, just the mere fact that you're talking about 34-inch arm versus the 30-inch arm or, or a little bit more of, of Chase, those little tiny dinosaur arms, they're not yeah. going to do the job. Well, look, John can correct me if I'm wrong, okay? But my understanding is that the Bengals have a, a traditional approach to a scouting. There are positions they value and there are positions they don't value as much, and that affects how they, where they draft people and how much they pay them later on, right? The receiver is one of those positions that they value. They, they, they've all, the Bengals have always had good receivers. You know, Joe Goodberry was tweeting how, you know, basically every time they had a great receiver retire or, or leave or whatever, that same year they drafted his replacement. You know, you can go back to, you know, uh, A.J. Green replacing yeah. uh, Chad Johnson. You can go back right. to before, you know, every time they always make sure they have an elite receiver. And I like T. Higgins. You know, yeah. Hoji likes T. Higgins. He's, you know, we love elite. Tyler Boyd. But I think what, what John and the others are saying is that Chase is different. Chase's ability to dominate at that age uh, and, his, and the fact that he tested, he was so fast in the testing, that was the one thing. Is, is he a true burner? And yes, he basically is. And he's got everything else. So I think it's like T. Higgins can be your, your you know, he can be, the, he can be the, you know, a guy who gets 800 to 1,000 yards, a very good complimentary receiver. Of course, Boyd is his own, is his own man. You know, he's, that's almost a different position. You know, he's yeah. a slot receiver. But then we have that one guy, that game-breaking receiver, and like AJ John Green was pointing 2. out, 0. like John was pointing out on Twitter, yeah, John was pointing out that look the way Burrow plays, yeah, offensive line is important, but he likes to use up that time scrambling, and he's going to make bad, like like Mahomes. He was saying like Mahomes, he's going to use up some time back there, yeah. and it's you want to have good offensive linemen, but is it necessary to have one elite guy, you know? when a guy like Burrow might better take advantage of having that target, you know, these kind of guys, like look at the Tyreek Hill type guy who can help the quarterback reach his potential. That's what I understood from John's tweets. Yeah, is that right, John? John? Okay. John's, so, like, yeah. John's like a puppet now. No, I mean, more, more, more or less. And I think we're, we're, we just kind of saw like how the Bengals approached this offseason and how they at least signed a tackle, not, albeit not a long-term option and not something that should give them long-term stability and ultimately shouldn't make them pass – on Sewell, but they purposely left that gaping hole of receiver. And right now it's only odd and Tate to fill it. And theoretically they could fill that hole with any receiver in the draft. But yeah, like, like, like you said, daddy, like they have a traditional approach to which positions they value at the top of the draft. And I think that's where we kind of all foresaw them leaning towards chase. And I think that's honestly might be the answer to the Ben's question then of, of why they value chase and why they're ultimately going to go that route. Now, if they go that route, here's the question. Round yeah. two, what do you do in the round two? That's now, what I wanted to ask. So, well, so yeah, so, thank so you. Daniel, because, yeah, yeah, what? So, look, yeah. Ben, what? Yeah, well, yeah. well, hold on. First of all, uh, Ben, I was just gonna say last year, look, yeah. the Bengals went into the draft, they, they their biggest weakness was the offensive line, and then they go out in the sixth round and they get Hakeem Adeniji. But for some people, that was not enough. So, now if they don't take Sivel in the first round, yeah, this is what Hoji wants to talk about. There's yeah. a number of yeah number of offensive linemen that they could target in the second and the third round. John wrote a great article on it. Right. There's a number of names that I want to throw at you and see what you think. So, Can I throw one first and then you throw the others? Yeah, please, please, please. Because I want to set it up as like a thought experiment, Ben. I want you to imagine a scenario, Ben, where a, not a man, a superman has been created. He's almost seven feet tall. He weighs over 300 pounds. 
He's equivalent to two human beings, but stacked one on the other. His power outranks that of other mere mortals. I'm talking about, yes, Spencer Brown. Go ahead now. Daddy. You can add the others, but I, how do you pass on Spencer Brown if he's available in the second round? He's huge. The man will literally yeah. push people and they fly away like flies. I had no idea how you knew who Spencer Brown was, to be honest He's the you. only guy I know because he's well, the I only look, guy I want. I well, think if you take Sewell in the first, you still take Spencer Brown in the second. That's yeah, how much I am for ben, Spencer Honestly, Brown. I am all for the Bengals. I and I understand not using the first pick, but I want to use more than one pick this time. And I want to use at least, you know, of the first four rounds, I want to use at least two of them on offensive linemen. So let me throw some names at you. So look, Samuel Cosby, right, yeah. from Texas. So he's from Texas. You probably know him really well. So, so the thing about, thing about Cosby is that he has short arms, uh -oh. which I honestly, look, I don't really understand the big deal. They say the same thing about uh, Seville. I, I mean, there are ways to make your arms longer. Oh, Am no, I not right? Not like, this again, like, no. No. no, like water this is not medieval. Or, this is not medieval. We've all seen this with a gadget. It's possible. Yeah. So no. I, I, yeah, there are ways to stretch your arms. But okay, let's just say, look, long arms are nice. It's very prestigious. Like I was saying, in our where we're from, the long armed people were the ones yeah. who, who were the flag bearers. They had a lot of yeah. honor. So I get it. It's a traditional thing. But you can look. you can shake someone's hand goodbye on the train. That long yeah. arms are very useful. But yeah, but so look, yeah. so Cosby, he he could be moved to guard. But John says it's not going to be an easy transition uh, because yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's someone else. Did now. Uh, yeah, yeah, someone, yeah, John. So it, it's not necessarily he could play guard. It's not that clear. But he's very fast, 4.8 for the speed. And, uh, and there's a good chance it's looking like he could be available. So you're saying no on Cosby. Nope. I, I, well, I, the 40 time is irrelevant. Like any offensive yeah. lineman who has to run the 40, I'm like, you could go run a 30-second 40. And I'd be like, that's fine. I, I, for me, it's all about being able to just get uh, get up. Can they move up and down the field? You know, can, is their lateral quickness good? Do they have a good base? Do they do they use the power well? And honestly, trench warfare is a lot like uh, what you see in boxing. And so it's it's really at the end of the day, playing offensive line, defensive line, it's hand to hand combat. And so you know, reach is reach advantage is one of the biggest things that we talk about in, in combat sports and boxing specifically. And boxing is a better probably uh, parallel to to offensive line play than MMA uh, because you, it's a lot of stand-up, hand-to-hand stuff, and you don't really see a lot of that extensively in, in the MMA. Uh, but but you, you talk about reach, and reach is interesting. I think reach is only important if you know how to use it. And if you can use it, great. But you see in boxing a lot of times guys who have a significant reach advantage have no idea what to do with it. You know, They'll sit there and they'll let a guy come on the inside, and the reach is great because you're able to keep a guy at distance uh, to use your, your train and, and shaking hands uh, analogy there. And I think that if you have a guy with shorter arms, I understand that, that, that there's a, a hesitancy to maybe say, oh, this, isn't, this doesn't really work. But for me, and like I said, I'm not a talent scout. I wasn't born into a, a family that knows anything about football, which is so I don't have an NFL job. Uh, so, so, you know, I feel like that's one of the criteria these days is you kind of got to be born into the business. Uh, but uh, that's an aside for another, another day. But yeah, we can talk about it today, Ben. Yeah, yeah. When you look at it, I think that reach is important if you know how to use it. And, and if you have a guy with smaller arms, when I'm looking at the tape, it's, it's can you basically get inside and use your leverage quickly? And, and you know, like, like you look at Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, like that's a good fight because Frazier had the much smaller arms. But that wasn't a deterrent because Frazier knew how to get on the inside. I think in the same way, if you're using – if you're looking at an offensive lineman who maybe doesn't have elite reach, if they can find a way to use their leverage well, it can, can have a good first punch, can do all that effectively – I think that's really the priority. So I think we look at a lot of measurables, 
in terms of offensive line, but really the tape is going to be the number one factor if they can play well. And talking to Sam Pittman for uh, the Arkansas head coach, you know, for that offensive lineman story we did on Penae Sewell, he said, you know, you can look, you, a guy can look the part, he can look great, but if he's not really a nasty individual, it doesn't really have that tenacity that you're yes. looking for, and that aggressiveness on the inside, the measurables don't matter. And I've seen that. I've seen guys who, you know, at the high school level when I covered, you know, rec- you know, high school football, I saw guys who looked like it on both sides of the ball, like premier guys who should be great edge rushers or great offensive tackles who just did not cut it at the next level because they just didn't have that tenacity. So I think that all of those things matter. And, and the timing matters, punch strike matters. There's a lot of things that go into that. So when you're looking at measurements for offensive linemen, yes, they're important, but the number one factor has to be how do they use those those their, their weapons and, and their size advantages. So those are all things to look at when we look at. But then, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, but let's just be straight. I mean, uh, you can try to change the NBA so the height doesn't matter. People tried that. They tried raising the rims. It was like 1930s or something. But at the end of the day, height matters. If you have Andre the Giant on your offensive line, if you have a literal human wall, on your offensive line, that's got to head back well, to Spencer Brown. Well, it depends. If well, would you, what about what about a guy like Carl Lawson who's a lot smaller and quicker and get around can get around you? I think that's a it's a, it's a, like styles make fights. And so I would you know I'm curious if you've got a speedy edge rusher coming off the edge. Yeah, honestly, yeah. a taller guy who doesn't move as well could be a disadvantage uh, because you know it, it, depending on you know the pass and, and run pass situation. I'm just going to theoretically yeah. Yeah. Off the me, but let me just say this. Yeah, Ben, I would just say this again. Bengals have a traditional style of drafting, right? I know they took Jonah. He didn't have the longest arms. Right, John? They're not that... How long yeah, were his Under 34. Arms? Under 34. But I think in general, they look, so John is saying, if I'm not mistaken, he said Christian Darasaw would be the perfect fit for the Bengals. He's got 34 and a half inch arms, and he excels at zone blocking and using his length. He might not be the most athletic. So like you're saying, he might have problems with the, the quicker, smaller guys. But he might make sense if they want the traditional kind of tackle. Just throw that out there. And there's also Alex uh, Leatherhead, right? Who has long arms. Wood. Oh, okay. Because actually, I was wondering, John, I was wondering if he's going to use the traditional helmets or not. Because uh, yeah, if, but okay, yeah. If his name was Alex Leatherhead, the Bengals would take him. At, uh, Mike Brown would take him at five. He'd probably to go first in the probably, draft. Probably, yeah. hundred oh, percent. Mike Brown would trade up to one to take take him if it's if his name was Leatherhead. So. He's not a cat guy though, so that might be a detriment. Wait, but John, John, why are you not? weighing in on my Spencer Brown rants. No, because I, I think the, the biggest bullet point to support Ben is an Allen, Texas native by the name of Cedric Oboehe, who had 36-inch yeah. arms and incredibly, you know, he was 6'6", he was incredibly quick. He didn't know how to use his hands. Michael Jordan has extremely long arms. He's got the perfect size to be an offensive lineman. He doesn't know how to use his hands. And I think yeah, that was a problem but- with the Bengals, and they were prioritizing those tools. Now they need to get back to actually figuring out which guys are actually good at football. Do you well, think that's, Spencer that's Brown was, is good at football, John? I, we, he hasn't played in a year, and last time he did play, it was at Northern Iowa. So, like, he, I think he looked good in the Senior Bowl, and he might be just be like a, a guy that they may in, may be interested in, like third or fourth round. But you're not expecting him to come in immediately and be good. Well, John, but, I mean, so well, a lot yeah. of these guys sat out. Even Sewell sat out here, right? Yeah, but Sewell was. So, you got me saying Sewell now. Sewell was really good in Oregon, though. Like, and he was going up against like quality players, and that's there's there's a difference there. Yeah, yeah. but John, but yeah, so it, so that's. It's, it's yeah. fascinating. Daddy, can I cut you off here? Because you guys have got me Please. riffing now. I'm enjoying yeah. I'm having, this. Is a great cut talk. him off. I'm, a, I'm yes. enjoying this. You know, it's it's fascinating because I've been watching a lot of bad boxing uh, during the pandemic. They've been throwing a bunch of fighters into the ring who really should not be on TV uh, for, for various reasons. And we see a lot of heavyweights. And, you know, what's interesting is when you look at it, it's really hard to find good heavyweights 
and project how they're going to be. And, and, you know, to, to kind of riff on what Zach Taylor said earlier this week, kind of what Duke Tobin said, and what a lot of people have said is trying to figure out how some of these bigger players are going to kind of project as they get, as they kind of, kind of grow and can kind of mature. It's one of the toughest things to, to evaluate. And when you talk about a Spencer Brown at Northern Iowa, you know, John said, yeah, he looks good against 29, you know, at, at times in 2019, but that was at Northern Iowa. Like what's he going to look like against better edge rushers? And a lot of the times, like just in boxing, you know, we can say, um, oh, this guy's this prospect looks phenomenal. But until they really go up against elite competition, you don't really know. And that's why, you know, a lot of the times offensive linemen have come from elite uh, programs and elite conferences because you know what kind of physical people, what kind of physical players they're going up against. And so I think that's the big question, Mark, is, is, is are some of these guys from smaller colleges, how are they going to fare? against really massive defensive ends. And, and let's be let's be frank, and Duke kind of said this, so one of the best things he said, I think, at the time of covering the Bengals, defensive ed, like edge rushers are the best athletes in the world. Like they're, they're better than UFC fighters. They're better than heavyweight boxers. They're the prime physical specimens in the, on the planet. Like Miles Garrett in another lifetime would be a heavyweight champion in whatever sport. Like Miles Garrett's an absolute freak show. And that's who tackles have to block, and it's absurd. And so, I mean, it, it's a very you're asking. It's very different. This is such a massive conversation to have, but projecting out how these guys are going to fare at the next level is so difficult. Okay. And, and maybe if you're the Bengals, do you want to take that risk at five and say? You know, we think Panay Sewell can be elite, but we really don't want to chance it at this point in our in our franchise stage. And maybe we think Jamar Chase is the safer play. And they've kind of more or less said that along those lines the last couple of weeks. So, you know, there there is a lot to be said for that. But yeah, just like in boxing, projecting the heavies is always the toughest thing. You don't know until they get in the ring. And, and for a lot of these NFL prospects, we're not going to know until they or, or until you surprise them in line at Costco and try to sneak past them. And maybe we can be doing that before the draft day. You know what I mean? See how it goes. Test them out. I, I like it. Listen, I, I think uh, you know. I think you may have just opened up a new area of scouting. You may, guys, yeah. y'all may just have developed Surprise the next generation of NFL scouting. I like it. Just yeah, try to so, knock okay. them over. The only one other prospect I wanted to get your opinion on, which is Brady Christensen yes. from BYU, left tackle, uh, very short arms, very short arms. Uh, you know, this guy, like, is he cannot, for instance, play how, center. How short? Probably, how short are the arms? Do you know? 32.25 inches. Still that, longer than Jamar Chase's arms. They're, they're basically, look at, look at my arms, they're about that long, his okay. arms. Those are yeah. about four inches. Maybe, yeah. But so look, John says he's also perfect hit, uh, fits, zone blocking, excellent. PFF's best offensive lineman in the run blocking, very athletic. Uh, but yeah, so he will obviously, you know, he'll have problems, I don't know, on the football field, at home, you know, he won't be able to reach the, the good silverware. Probably. But he can use one of those those things. They make these things now. They're like sticks yeah. with a little shark mouth at the end. Okay, and you, right. You, you reach up. You grab, yeah. So if they let him use that on the field, that would help. But but yeah, so I wanted to maybe see if you've thought about him as a... John, where would he fall? Third round, maybe? We have no idea. He's like, he's almost as old as I am, which is, which is kind of old nowadays, like for an NFL prospect. Um because I mean, most of those guys from BYU, they they do mission trips, and sometimes they don't enter the NFL at like the traditional age. So he's going to be like 25, I think, sometime this year, which may push him down to like second or third round. But I think on the field, you, you like what you see, and you like that transition to guard because of that less than ideal arm length. But also, 
got to remember in 2006, the Bengals took a 25-year-old rookie offensive lineman from LSU by the name of Andrew Whitworth. So there is a precedent there for that. But obviously Whitworth is an alien, and that's not necessarily Christensen. And don't forget, John, never underestimate the power of old man strength. When you turn around 27 years old, this thing enters your body called old man strength. And you don't know where it comes from. But all of a sudden, you're stronger than you were as a young man. It's, it's called old man strength. Yeah. I, I'm about to hit 30, so I am, I'm hoping that old Are you man feeling it? In spades. So it's starting to, I'm starting to feel it. I just We just moved into a new house, and I was picking yeah. up stuff. And I said, you know what? This feels a little bit lighter than the last time yes. I moved it from Texas. So, you know, I can feel that strength coming in. So uh, old yeah. man strength. So yeah. maybe I can test out your cost. I can be one of your Costco scouts. You know, you I'm are. Old man you I, I, I go yeah. out there and say, hey, you know what? You, you know, see Spencer Brown? quick, jump in line. And then we'll yeah. see how good, what kind of NFL prospect they're going to be. Yeah, you see Spencer oh, Brown with a hot dog, try to knock the hot dog out of his hands. Just swipe it down. I like yep. it. So, I'm, yeah, the, I've heard the pizza at Costco is a, a little underrated at times for the, the slice quality factor. For the it's a little expensive. They're huge. It's, yes, for the price points, and it's not the worst quality. So maybe maybe he's out getting, getting a slice of pizza, you know, just got a, a multi, just a massive pack of who knows what because Costco just sells everything in, in massive bulk, which I never well, He has to feed that seven-foot body. I'm saying. I mean, it's I'm guessing, just go out yeah. just – Knock out the slice of pizza and then say, "All right, buddy, where are you at?" And then we'll go from there. I like this yeah. approach. I'm excited. That'll be maybe yeah, so this the next story on ESPN. Spencer Spencer Brown's heart is the size of my head. That is how big yeah. Spencer Brown is. Yeah. yeah. So look, uh, in closing, I want to ask one thing, guys. Let's go to the other side and talk about edge rushes, pass rushes. Because oh, yeah. look, I don't think the Bengals. You made a joke on uh, Twitter, I hope it was a joke, because you like to mess with us with your Joe Mixon updates and whatnot, but you made a joke about them drafting uh, Micah Partridge, I believe, and, and, and but that's not going to happen, right? We don't, well, well, first see. of all, he's not a we'll football we'll player, he's a, he's a musical comedy star, but, no. but second of all, no, yeah. no. Nope. but, 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 but I'm just saying, okay. Oh, okay, yeah, so, so I'm saying that, that was a joke. So I, but I, I will say this. I don't think the Bengals are going to invest heavily in linebacker, maybe like a later round, because they feel like they did that last year. They want to see how those pan out. And those were Reed this regime's back. picks. These were these, this regime's picks, right? So they're going to give them another year. So I think the other, really, other than the receiver, let's say, uh, offensive lineman, obviously, the biggest need, and then receiver, and then, or, or like, let's say, yeah, pass rush, I would say, after offensive line. So they're going to probably have to take a shot on, on a couple of uh, defensive linemen or a couple of pass rushers. So who do you have in mind? You know, there's been a lot of a lot of people throwing out the name Bobby Brown, uh, not not the not the former partner of Whitney Houston. Unfortunately, uh, one, yes, yeah, not, not, not Bobby Brown. Tough his names. Uh, but yeah, Bobby Brown from Texas A&M, who interestingly enough, I covered. Uh, I, I feel old now because I remember when he signed. I think I went to. I actually I tried to show up at his signing a ceremony. And I think I went to the wrong place and it got too late in the morning. I said, I'm just going to go get some breakfast instead, yeah. go somewhere else. So that's how that worked. But Bobby is a very, like, he, he's a good prospect of five. He's an elite. He was an elite recruit coming out of uh, high school. Uh, Alabama and A&M both wanted him. He played very well at A&M under Mike Elko, their defensive coordinator. I think he's projected to be a, a day three guy. And when you look at what the Bengals could need, you know, you know, you have Larry Ogunjobi that they got in free agency, but Bobby Brown could be a potential long-term guy uh, who could play very well, give you some interior pass rush, uh, you know, has really good size. Uh, I think that's a, that's a good option. Uh, as you guys said, edge rusher is a very, uh, I don't really know what's going on there, to be honest. Uh, you know, I know the Bengals got Trey Hendrickson. I just don't know if Hendrickson's numbers are conducive to that being his, his 2020 sack number 
to be replicable in uh, in, in 2021. Uh, Sam Hubbard, uh, obviously, I think if he can stay healthy, you know, you want to see what you can see out of him. But by and large, the Bengals' ability to get pressure off the edge or just get pressure off quarterbacks has looked vastly different since Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins got older. And the Bengals really have had no plan on replacing them. It should have been Carl Lawson. They let him walk, uh, which yeah. I don't really understand that. No, so that's the question that I really don't know. And I agree. I think if you're looking, ideally, you don't want to draft uh, on need necessarily. You want to take really good athletes if you can find them. Uh, but if it, if it works out, I think an ideal draft for the, the first three rounds or four rounds, if you go you know, wide receiver, because I think they're going there, then you go offensive lineman, you maybe get Leatherwood. You see if you can get an edge rusher in the third round, and then maybe in the fourth round go get a, get a guard or an interior offensive lineman. I think for me that's a very good – uh, one through four option. And, you know, on, honestly, I wouldn't rule out seeing if you could get a dual threat running back as well uh, oh, early you know, in the first five rounds. I think that would not be a bad play, to be quite honest. If you can replace some of what Geo did, I think that would be a a, a good value add. And I, I think Travion Williams has a chance to do that. I'd like to see what he can do when healthy and, and just give it a few more snaps. And, and because he has kind of that shiftiness that Bernard, uh, you know, carried, but he was on the show. So, Geo yeah. is going to be a, it's quite large and it's kind of going understated. Yeah. I, I wouldn't rule out in those later, like third, fourth rounds, getting a backup quarterback. I mean, we all saw what happened last year. Joe Burrow. I mean, every, any elite team. And I mean, that's what the Bengals should strive to be. Needs to have someone capable as a, as the backup QB. You know, you know, here's something we haven't discussed. This is a this is a podcast and a show for serious matters. So let me exactly. put this, let me put this on the table. I would we like for you to do that. Justin Fields, Joe Burrow debate at Ohio State. You know there wasn't there wasn't enough overlap there. So why why don't we have what if, if, if Justin Fields is on the table at five? Do the Bengals go take Justin Fields? Do we get a quarterback controversy that we didn't get to see at Ohio State? No. Let the best man win, and then you trade him for picks. Why not? Well, that's you what I was going to say. Well, that's what you do. You take him. You take him, and you trade him. You don't, you, 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 don't, you don't create well, the controversy. You don't create the controversy yeah. because Joe Burrow is our man. But you do take yeah. and trade. Yes. Well, you don't really take someone that high to trade. You take someone maybe maybe second, maybe third, say, hey, I can develop him. But that five, number five pick, that's too the, – the chance you're going to get a number five pick in return is, is not that high. But look, well, 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 I thought, I thought yeah. this was a show for serious, con- serious conversations. Yeah. So did I, Daddy? So yeah, I did too. Yeah. So why I think, uh, yeah. I, think, I think Justin Fields at five is serious, serious, just like Michael Parsons at yeah. five. Justin Fields Parsons. at five. So it is written, so it shall be done. Yeah. Ben, look, sure. let me tell you something. I really I'm so happy you are on the show because yes. this is the most viewers. We have 21 people watching. This is the most we've ever had this late in the show. I guess is this what it feels like to be on ESPN? Is this the kind of numbers you get? Because I'm but, just, no, just I, think I feel like asking- yeah. Yeah, I think Daddy, what Daddy is really asking is, Ben, can we just ask an honest question? Why aren't we on ESPN? Me and Daddy and John. Y- y'all like, just... how do we get on ESPN? That's a I good mean, question. Even just for five minutes. Even just for five minutes, Ben. That's a good question. Be on ESPN. I, I'm a, I've actually, I think a lot of us have asked what we have to do to get on ESPN for five minutes. <laughs> I'm not sure that's probably something PR wants me to say. But uh, I, if I find out, I will let you know. Can uh, we be your crew? You. Can we be your backup crew? Like Ben, it's yeah. Ben Baby and the and the you know Ben Baby and the Rockets will be the Rockets. Yeah. You know, like you say, yeah. you say Pitts at you say Pitts Pitts at five. We say do up do up. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can do that. It'll be like Benny and the Jets, right? I think that's what Benny and the Jets. That's pretty good. Yeah, Jets, right? I'm not yeah. really sure. I don't really know a lot about the Elton John song. I just know people like sing it to me a ton. Yeah, we're gonna have to get around the copyright too. 
one ESPN personality we've talked about a lot on the show because he had very strong opinions about Marvin Lewis and the Bengals is, is Stephen A. Smith. Uh -oh. And I don't know if he, do you know if he watches our show? I don't know. Yes. But if we would be willing to have him debate Hoji. So if you want to. I have I debated will, will, him, but he yeah. wasn't here. I, then, I debated him, but he was absent. The next time I see him in Bristol, I'll be sure to pass yeah. that along. Awesome. Make it, tell him Great. to watch my Stephen A. Smith video and see what he thinks. Yeah. So yeah. Ben, really, I'm really very grateful for you being on the show. Honestly, this is the, the best probably show we've ever done. And probably yeah. the best Bengals show ever. Yeah. And uh, that is, it's the biggest, it's the best. And that is yeah. all we have. So just please uh, remind everybody at Bristol and everywhere to uh, subscribe to our podcast. It's the right. number one Bengals podcast. Five stars. That's what it's called. It's, that's, what, yeah. that's the name of it. It doesn't rank number one. But yeah, it's all about it's all about yeah speaking it into existence, and leave a five star review on yeah. iTunes or wherever. So so that is all we have for this show for Ben Baby and John Sheeran, the Doctor Hoji, the Electric Smoji. I am Daddy McTook. We will see you next time. So long, sweetie. Bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.